Welcome to You Are Seen, The Untold Stories. Here, we share personal experiences in hopes that we can transform the way we see others. I'm Nick Jazdan, a storyteller and filmmaker who believes in producing with a greater purpose. We all have a story to tell, and I think we should start listening to each other in order for us to create a more loving world. When we hear and understand someone else's story, we're telling that person and that community you are seen. This season, we're focusing on uplifting Black voices. For this interview, I sat down with Rudy on June 10th, 2020. Fighting against this uh, national holiday called Zwarte Piet, when you translate it into English as Black Piet. And it's a December 5th holiday where Dutch folks walk around in blackface. When I was little, I, I uh, looked up to my mother a lot. She was the first female gynecologist. Later, I found out that she was protesting when she was younger and that they beat her because they knew she was a doctor, so they broke her hands. Rudy was born in Ethiopia, raised in Los Angeles, and cultivated in Amsterdam. Rudy was nurtured by a family of educated women, activists, and humanitarians. It's in her DNA to stand up to injustice. In addition, she's a brand creative, artist whisperer, podcast host, and sneaker aficionado. Here is Rudy. Hi, my name is Rudy. I was born in Ethiopia, raised in Los Angeles. I am 41 years old, and my ethnicity is, I guess... Ethiopian, but anywhere outside of Ethiopia, I'm just black. Blackity black. <laughs> Growing up, how was that community in Ethiopia? Uh, when I was a little kid in Ethiopia, I was raised by my grandmother, who was uh, heavily practicing Eastern Orthodox Christian. I mean, she had her rosaries and everything. We didn't go to church all the time, mm-hmm. but once in a while, yeah. I used to join her because I liked the smell of the frankincense. That's mm-hmm. really the only thing because the service was like three hours long. So that wasn't really <laughs> why I was going. And we had a lot of family friends who were a European. I think they were even Dutch that work for NGOs. So I went to their churches as well. Community-wise, I mean, we were very family-oriented. My grandmother was very welcoming to everyone. So everyone came to visit. She used to insist on cooking, even though we had people for that (laughs) and stuff. So it was was cool. My mother, because I'm an only child also, Mm. I didn't really realize what my mom and everyone was doing (laughs) besides... What I saw, I knew my mom was a doctor, but other than that, I didn't really see or know to what capacity. Mm-hmm. So I found that out later when I was a yeah. teenager. So I'm also Eastern Orthodox, so that's cool how that mm-hmm. is connected right there. So um, only three minutes in. I know. Going forward, so moving to the U.S., I mean, mm-hmm. did you feel racism in Ethiopia or was that something new that you felt when you went to these, the States? Well, I definitely did not feel racism in Ethiopia because, well, we're all Black there. Mm. What was very evident to me when I was young, even though I didn't know the word for it, is class system. Mm. Because I came from a family of humanitarians and very educated people. So Mm. I went to the American school run by the U.S. State Department and had all these things. But my family was always like active in other parts of the country. But the way we were viewed, I mean, I guess we came from an affluent situation. Mm-hmm. The minute you leave your gated home, you know, you see the struggle mm. was was pretty evident. So when I was a kid, I used to see that and 
I used to want to interact with the children because the capital city has a problem with a lot of homeless kids. As a kid, you obviously want to share your toys with kids. So I had a few incidences where I used to try to share my toys with homeless kids over the gate yeah. and they would run off with the toy. So. <laughs> and so, so moving, moving to the U.S., was that the first time you sort of said, whoa, like this is another sort of game in this way of the, of the world? Like said, yeah, now racism has come in when you came to the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, because we didn't talk about things like prejudice and stuff like that until when you come to the States, that's kind of like regular part of the mm. vocabulary. So I learned two things, like what prejudice was mm. and also that being charitable was a thing you announced because I grew up with family members just doing that kind of stuff. But I didn't yeah. know in America, it's a very like, hey, look at me doing this type vibe, you know, so I noticed that. Uh-huh. But it wasn't until the murder of uh, Letitia Harlins, uh-huh. uh, who was this teenage girl in South Central who got killed by the Korean in the grocery store because uh-huh. she thought she was shoplifting or whatever. And then that was like a very big racial issue uh-huh. in L.A. And then the following year was the Rodney King thing. So I was like, I was learning on the job. So uh-huh. it was through those experiences that I learned about racism, but not through my own direct experiences. Mm. You know, what I experienced is, you know, these little ignorant assumptions that people make about Ethiopia. But because I was educated through an American system while there, you know, I was kind of, I didn't fit the stereotypical image of what an Ethiopian is. So, (laughs) and I I was an athlete. I did a lot. I wasn't cliquish because Ethiopians are very community oriented and stick to themselves. I was very outgoing. That died quick. So nobody was really coming at me in that kind of way. But um. do you feel like you had sort of, I mean, it's sort of interesting that you moved in different cultures, totally different worlds, almost like different continents. Did you have any sort of this role model that you stuck to while you were growing up? I would say when I was little, I I, uh, looked up to my mother a lot, Mm -hmm. but just because I knew she was out doing things. And she was someone, but I just didn't know what who she was. But the reason I moved to the States to begin with is because my mom passed away. Mm. And then uh, when I was like, let's say 11 or 12, then I started knowing who she was. Like, I didn't know, for example, I knew she was a doctor, but I didn't know that she was the first female gynecologist, wow. the founding member of the Family Guidance Association and chairman of Scandinavian NGOs. Wow. Yeah, like, and also, like, I remember, <laughs> I remember, like, for example, when I was a kid, I was really obsessed with this VHS tape, uh, the we are the making of We Are the World. Yeah, yeah. And I used to watch that video all the time. But then when I was a teenager, I found out that she was the one in charge of dispersing the funds within the country. So they gave her the, the video, you know what I mean? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so it was, it was, yeah, so I used to watch that video. And at the end of the video, there were, like, four or five music videos. Mm-hmm. So that was my introduction to the music video concept. It was like Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. uh, Billy Joel, and then Bob Marley, Three Little Birds. So I, I wore that shit out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, but when I got older, I mean, I started making the connections of when I was a kid, I remember my mom, uh, her hands were stuck like this. Mm-hmm. She couldn't extend her fingers. So yeah. it was like calcified at the knuckles. And I remember she had to go to the States to get surgery at some point. But I mm-hmm. asked her, you know, what happened? How did you get that? You know, and she said, you know, I was playing in the tree and I fell and I just never got it fixed. But later I found out that she was protesting when she was younger and that they beat her because they knew she was a doctor. So they broke her hands. Wow. These are things that 
I learned later. Yeah. Do you know what the protest was for? Um, it was when she was in med school mm. in Beirut. Oh. So everybody in my family speaks Arabic and Hebrew except That's me. That's amazing. Yeah, except me. So I don't know. <laughs> so I'm Syrian and Palestinian. So like Oh, my, she would my... love you. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. Wow, you're like all over. Your family has traveled and very like yeah. all over. That's awesome. That, honestly, that's a really awesome role model to have. So you currently live in Amsterdam? Amsterdam? Yeah. yeah. So being in Amsterdam, what would you, you are part of the protest. If you want to tell us a little bit more about like how the protests were. I attended the protest uh, last week and it was like in the middle of the, one of the main town square is called Dam Square. So about 5,000 people showed up, but they only expected a couple of hundred. So mm. that was a big deal. And it was organized by uh, these two organizations that are known for fighting against this uh, national holiday called Zwarte Piet, when you translate it into English as Black Piet. And it's a December 5th holiday where Dutch folks walk around in blackface in gesture Whoa. costumes and Afro wigs and red lipstick and hoop earrings which they say they got that way from going through the chimney. But they also speak with a stereotypical Surinamese accent. So it's their way of imitating Ebonics. But yeah. for here. So all these things. So those organizations decided to do a solidarity protest. Yeah. Uh, the turnout was very mixed. Also age group wise, which I thought was good because in the past, it's, it's only been black folks that, showed up at these protests because they're the only ones that had the complaints about it because everyone else think it's tradition. And the level of consciousness amongst Black people is just waking up. It's a new concept here. Because when I moved here, I used to complain about Black people all the time and they used to be like, ah, it's okay. Oh, really? Wow. Like, no, no. So people actually do this? Yeah, so it's an old white guy in Mm. a cone-shaped hat. So it looks like a KKK hat, but it's red. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks like those old uh, religious yeah. costumes. He comes on a white horse and then with him are his helpers and they're dressed in gesture outfits. Now, when they started doing the ceremony of him arriving, so they call him Sinterklaas, which sounds like Santa Claus, but so he arrives from Spain, they say, because he's Spanish. Okay. Uh, and then he does, they do a little parade. When they started doing that in the 60s, the gestures were not in blackface at all. So this is not even how it started. They just mm. added that along the way. What they do is, yeah, so the helper is dressed in blackface and they hop around, they act goofy and they're supposed to be the friend of the kid. You know what I mean? So he's yeah, supposed yeah. to be this harmless, friendly character that all the kids love. Mm. But at the same time, obviously offensive. But I'll, I'll send you pictures. I'm, I'm actually really, really... Yeah, this is the thing. You should do like a documentary just on that. That's Well, there is, there's a few. There's a okay. few short documentaries. There was like a little one that aired on CNN International. I'll, I'll send you some stuff. Yeah, I have to look that up. That's insane. Because if that happened here, I mean, that, that would not... I mean, listen. The whole world... I mean, it already started. happened there. That's the yeah. thing. Oh, well, yeah, it's, you're right. <laughs> and it probably happens and we don't even know. Yeah. So was there... So continuing. Was there a moment during the protest that really stuck out? Like, did anything happen? Well, it was a very peaceful thing. And then they had some speakers. The most passionate speaker that day was this Dutch rapper of Ghanaian descent mm. who gave a passionate speech about how he's, like, fed up yeah. with everything and how he's also tired of the Black Pete thing. So he had made a comment that says... Loosely translated. I'm over the diplomacy. So if I see Black Pete, anybody in blackface on December 5th, I'm just going to punch them in the face and I encourage you to do the same. 
Wow. So now he's getting death threats and, you know, all these things. But yeah, yeah. This, these Caucasians are very passionate about their pee. That's, that's really enlightening. I can't, can't believe yeah. that's a thing. That's, yeah, that's I'm ready funny. to go, Nick. Yeah. So frequencies. A lot of people have been talking about how intense the last two weeks have been, right? Especially in the U.S. I mean, every state, right? We're talking about every state. A lot of cities with each state are having protests. And so how can we be more frequent? Right. How can we talk about this more frequently and not just have this be a moment? First of all, I think a lot of people need to start also thinking for themselves and educating themselves and not just repeating what they're being told and mm. what seems like a dope slogan, you know what I mean, at, for the moment. Uh, because if you really immerse yourself in what's happening and know what's going on, I think as a decent human being, you're not going to, you're going to feel compelled yeah. to say something or to continue the conversation or figure out where you can make a difference. Stateside, it's obvious the problem comes to you every day. You know what I mean? This, these protests have been good. It's a, George Floyd has been like a catalyst to remind the locals in these different countries about the problems that they have from their colonial past. But what I have a problem with and what I hope is different this time around, especially in Holland, is that they don't co-opt the fight in the States and try to apply the same things that work over there here. Yeah. Because to me, like the, they emulate the Black Panther approach to stuff, but on the flip side, it's not like they're doing something for the community. So it's the imagery mm. <laughs> matches, but the, the, the content and the substance doesn't. So I just hope that they immerse themselves in, in their own culture and their own struggles and their own past history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just realize like there's more things happening besides, you know, social media. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. It must have felt different being in Amsterdam than being here while it was happening. Like what, how did you feel when they were like, oh, we're going to do a protest in Amsterdam, like all these other countries coming up? Like how was that feeling? Well, when it was announced, it was uh, before I had heard about these other countries. I think when I heard the announcement that the Amsterdam one was going to come, it was prior to another one taking place elsewhere. So, and it was organized by a white guy who got criticism. And I was like, well, on one hand, you want them to be allies. They take initiative, you know, to help create a moment and then they get bashed. So eventually what he did is he merged his event together with the other organizations. And I think that's why the turnout ended up being what it was. Yeah, it was very different. I mean, I have a lot of African-American friends here. So I also went with three friends of mine from the States. I was boiling and and I already feel homesick and helpless as it is. So with the pandemic, the not being back, and then now this, I'm like, because I was there for the LA riot. So obviously that was a smaller scale of what's happening now. But, you know, I know I remember the energy and being happy that at least I was a part of something or close to my family, you know? Yeah. That's a little different. So that's one of the reasons I went. And plus that was also coincidentally the first day they were allowing people to go outside. Yeah. We're opening cafes for the first time on June 1st. So Mm -hmm. I think that also gave some of those people a reason to go out there. I think some folks thought it was a festival, you know? Yeah. And I think some people here too feel that way, but we definitely, it's a definitely different feel. I mean, I've been to... Brooklyn, Manhattan, some of the suburbs in New Jersey. So I've been to very different protests, Mm. but all of them had like the same feel of togetherness. And a lot of them, there's a lot of healing going on, which was really awesome. And do they think you're Puerto Rican over there? 
they think I'm Puerto Rican, Brazilian. Dominican. Like I went to Paris and someone taxi driver was like, are you Brazilian? And I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> I get everything. I do not get Arabic, which is really crazy. I mean, I, don't know. I mean, now that I know, if, and yeah, of course, yeah. you know, if you've traveled, you see that there's different things, but you don't of have, course. you don't have an olivey thing yeah, is not a prominent. Yeah. I think it's probably a mixture between like Greek, Spain. Like I think mm. I need to do Ancestry.com because I need yeah. to see Very the lineage. Because our yeah. land has been occupied by Britain. I mean, Palestine was, well, the actual country of Palestine, yeah. was occupied by Britain and Syria was occupied by the Ottoman. You know what I mean? So who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a little Turk. Yeah, a little dash of everything. So how are, I don't know if you watch like local news, you know what I mean, in Amsterdam, but how are they reporting sort of what's going on here? Is it is it very violent looters or is it sort of America's oh, no. waking Nobody up? Has, uh, there hasn't been any kind of like, they haven't even been boisterous, let alone have a mm-hmm. riot. I mean, they had a, coincidentally, they had another one today, mm-hmm. which I last minute opted out of only because I wanted to go because it was taking place in the black neighborhood. So I knew okay. like, oh, okay, I should at least show up to that one. But then I remembered that black folks here were not that good with social distancing because I went to that neighborhood a month ago and they thought it was a block party. So then I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And now it turns out they had 11,000 people there. Wow. They were social distancing though, which I was impressed with. So no, everything was peaceful. I was just talking to a friend of mine, like, I hope they keep the same energy when mm-hmm. December 5th comes. But I also want to get past the uh, photo shoots and the colorful festive sign slogan yeah. driven. Like, I want to get past that and then see. Because yeah. I have friends close to me that were passionate oh, two weeks ago or whatever about posting on Instagram. And now they're not. And I was like, yeah, but that's the consistency. This is when you should actually post the yeah. most. I mean, it's not over you're just now seeing change. Stuff that was impossible for all these years, supposedly, is now happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, why would you stop, you know? Yeah. But that's you- that reminder again of like, oh, but that's America. You know? Mm. There's always a point where they revert back to that even if they're Black. No, I definitely think this has awoken a lot, especially because I have family in Palestine. Like, you hear... They're protesting strong over there for yeah. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, like crazy because I mean they live behind a wall. So like I mean yeah, that's they could relate to the oh, wow. um which is insane. But so yeah, seeing all of this, seeing the youth in America really waking up, because I see a lot of younger people at these protests than older people yeah. in the States. And so is there this hope that, you know, maybe this time around, like this is a bigger push. This is a bigger thing. Things are little things are changing. Like, is there hope? Do you have hope? Well, I personally have hope, but that's because I'm just built that way. I'm an eternal optimist. And then I have a Mm -hmm. sense of humor that helps me cope when hope is low, you know, but in general, you know, I always bust the U-turn and I get on track. But I think in general, it's that whole seeing and believing thing. Like you're seeing the changes. I mean, two weeks of protests and some major laws have changed. Mm. Uh, You see that what you, you thought you were asking for the impossible, but all of a sudden you can defund and dismantle a police department, which Mm. was unheard of till a week ago. You have evidence, you have reasons to be hopeful uh, when the pandemic dies down Mm -hmm. and employment becomes an option. Yeah. You're not going to be on the streets every day. You're not going to be able to hang out and use it as a social gathering and at the same time, you know, chant things. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out a way to pivot to another way 
So I'm hoping, you know, with these different leaders, the Tamikas, the Angela Rise, all these people, hopefully they provide like some type of a, of a blueprint that other people can follow if they're not capable of creating it themselves. Mm-hmm. But also vote. Like... <laughs> Definitely voting is is very important, but I know a lot of those areas have tough with their polls and their their booths, yeah. you know what I mean? Georgia. So yeah. access, I mean, I, I, Georgia is having their voting today and it, it was a mess in Atlanta. Yeah. So Depression. Yeah. Also yesterday I saw some folks trying to vote, but yeah, this is the thing. I think endurance, mm-hmm. if you, you had the endurance to protest, you're just going to have to have that eight hour endurance to vote and Hopefully, like all these people who are talking about they've never voted but are going to vote for the first time, the ones who have, who are in a position of influence, you know, like Offset from the Migos or Snoop, who are all voting for the first time this year. I hope they also influence people, even with, uh, you know, some charges Mm -hmm. that they could educate themselves. And because when I was a kid, I wasn't a criminal at all. And I was under the impression that it was black and white, that if you have a record, you can't vote, you know, so. Yeah. I could imagine people who didn't finish high school really don't think they can, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you so much for doing You're this. You're welcome. This right, was... I, I survived it. Thank you okay. so much. To learn more about Rudy and more, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Podcasts. I want you to join me every Thursday. So make sure to subscribe and review this podcast and share with your friends and family. If you have a story to share, I want to hear it. Email me at nickjuzdan at gmail.com. A special thanks to our team, editor Angelica Salvador, marketing and graphic design, Victoria Ayub. I'll see you next Thursday for another episode of You Are Seen, The Untold Stories. And don't forget, make sure to spread love and be kind.